Good morning, everyone. It's certainly good to be with you this morning on a cold Sunday morning. Um, I was surprised to see that it was snowing a little bit as I came down the Cumberland uh, Parkway uh, when it was 70 degrees on Friday, and I was walking around in a t-shirt and uh, enjoying the sunshine, and now it's, it's turned bitterly cold. But it's good to be inside here where it's warm and we're comfortable and we can uh, open God's Word and, and study together this morning. The topic I want to talk about this morning is called The Offending Brother. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. And if you're familiar with this passage, which is Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 15 through verse 17. I'm going to read that quickly for us here. If your brother sins, and go, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him to be you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And so we often read this passage uh, when it comes to uh, how we approach a, a brother in sin. We go to him in private, and then if he doesn't listen to us, we bring a couple more with us. And then if that doesn't work, we bring it before the congregation. But what if we're the one being approached? What should our attitude be? How should we respond to someone who comes to us and says, your life isn't what the Bible says it should be? What should my attitude be? What should my response be? And so we're going to look at three examples from the Bible of individuals who were approached about the way they were living and how they responded. The first we're going to look at is Apollos. Turn over to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, beginning in verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus. And he was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and had being a fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurate the things concerning Jesus, which were acquainted. I think I've got the wrong. No, I'm sorry. I apologize. Concerning Jesus, being acquainted with only the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila had heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he, when he wanted to go across to Achaia to the brethren, he encouraged them and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through, the, through grace. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So in verses 24 and 25, we see that Apollos was an eloquent man, and he knew his scriptures. He knew the Old Testament, and he knew the testimony of John, the baptizer. But he did not have the full testimony of Christ, because at this time, you know, they didn't have the full, uh, the full, full Bible in 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 form, and so at this time, people were were uh, relying on the testimony of those who knew the apostles, those who had seen Jesus, and the Old Testament. And so, in the same way, Apollos was using the the testimony of John to preach these things. And even though that testimony, when it was told to him, was true, now there was new information. There was information that was coming in. So Aquila and Priscilla 
In verse 26, they explained Jesus to him. They explained the testimony that Paul had brought to them that Jesus had already come and he had died for the sins of the world. And so with more knowledge of a more accurate understanding of the prophecies in the Old Testament, we see in verse 28 that Apollos was able to teach Christ to those, uh, those that he was in contact with. And so we see here that Apollos had a zeal for God, but he didn't have the accurate knowledge. He wanted to do the right thing, but he didn't have the full truth. And so Apollos, we would say, I know that this word is, is more derogatory in our, our language, but he was just ignorant of the truth. He wanted to do the right thing. He truly loved God, but he didn't know the full truth. So let's look at another example. Let's look at King David. Turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 12. And it seems that this, uh, this passage has been referenced a lot based on the, the conversations we had in Bible class this morning, but I guess we can look at it again. Um, 2 Samuel chapter 12. In chapter 11, we see that David commits adultery with Bathsheba, and then to hide his sin, he murders her husband, Uriah. And so in chapter 12, just to have that set up, chapter 12, verse 1, we'll start here with Nathan talking to David. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said, There were two men in one city, one rich and one poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he bought and brought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and his children. It would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom, and was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had came to him. Rather, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had came to him. Then David's anger burned greatly against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, surely this man who has done this thing deserves to die. He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no compassion. Then Nathan said to David, You are this man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, It is I who anointed you king over Israel. It is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care. And I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have added to you many more things like these. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword. And you have taken his wife to be your wife. And have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house. Because you have despised me. And taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord. Behold I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives from before your eyes. And give them to your companion. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed you did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel under the sun. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has also taken away your sin. You shall not die. However, by this deed you have made it given occasion for the enemies of, of the Lord to blaspheme. And the child also that is born to you shall surely die. So Nathan went to his house. And so we see in the first four verses of chapter 12 that Nathan tells the story about 
a, a, a parable uh, about a rich herder and a poor herder. And, you know, you can just tell that as, as Nathan is telling the story to David, that David, being a herder himself, would have had some compassion with, you know, he, he probably had lambs that he liked the most or the ones that he uh, was able to watch them grow as, they, as, they, uh, as he's out there in the, in the pasture of his father Jesse. And so you can tell as when, when Nathan gets into the story in verse 5, that David's anger burnt. He's righteously judging this story. And the irony is, is Nathan is about to tell him in verse 7 that you're just like the rich man. You have all, this, you have, you have all these lambs, and yet you chose to take, someone, take from someone else. And so as, as Nathan tells him this, I think it's important that we look that every time that Nathan is condemning David. He says, the Lord said, the Lord did. And when he's speaking from the the Lord says, I delivered you. I did, did this for you. You're forgetting where you were before as we talked about in our Bible class this morning. But we also see that the Lord forgives David because David turns back to God. And David repents, even though there, there will be consequences for what he what he has done. So we see that while Apollos was ignorant of the truth and yet had zeal for God, David knew what he was doing wrong even, and, and, and was drifting away from God and Nathan was sent to pull him back, was sent to jar his, his, his spiritual state back to where he could realize what he was doing, that he was drifting away from service of the Lord. So the last, pers- the last example we're going to look at is Agrippa. Turn over to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. Just to set the scene for you here, Paul has been in prison for uh, preaching Christ because the Jews had basically told him, if, if you show up back in Jerusalem, we're going to arrest you for for uh, preaching that Christ was the son of, is the Son of God. And so he's, he's uh, in prison and, and he's going before all these courts and such. And one of the courts he goes before is the court of Agrippa. Let's start in uh, verse 19 of chapter 26. So King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision. He's talking about uh, what happened to him on the road to Damascus where Jesus comes to him and says, Why are you persecuting me, Saul of Tarsus. Um, and and so, so after that, Saul is, goes to Damascus and is converted to being a Christian. And so he's telling this to Agrippa to, to tell him why he's preaching uh, Jesus under fear of death from the Jews. So King Agrippa, I did not, disprove, did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring both to those of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem, even throughout all the region of Judea, even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. For this reason, some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to put me to death. So having obtained help from God, I stand to this day, testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place, and that the Christ was to suffer, and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be first to proclaim the light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. 
While Paul was saying this in his defense, Festus in a loud voice said, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind. Most excellent Festus, but I utter the words of sober truth. For the king knows of these matters. He's talking to Agrippa. And I speak to him also with confidence, since I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe in the prophets? I know that you do. Agrippa replied to Paul, in a short time you will persuade me to be a, become a Christian. And Paul said, I, wish, I would wish to God that whether in a short time or a long time, not only you, but also those who hear me to this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. chains. Excuse me. So in verses 19 through 23, Paul accounts the reason why he's before Agrippa and Festus, before this council. And he's, he's telling these things and to, to Agrippa, but Agrippa already knows all this stuff. He, you know, this happened in his country, in his land. He knows why the Jews brought him forward. He knows uh, what Paul was preaching. and He knows why the Jews were upset with that. And in verses 24 through 27, Paul convicts Agrippa and says, You know why I'm here. You know the truth. You know the scriptures of the Old Testament. And you know what I'm preaching to be true if you believe the prophets. But Agrippa responds in jest. You know, he, I would take this to be that Agrippa is, is kind of brushing Paul off to save face in front of his, the, his, his peers there at the council. Uh, and and he, doesn't, he doesn't want to, doesn't want to, to uh, consider what Paul's saying because of, of where he's at and who he is. And so Agrippa and David are in similar situations. Uh, they both knew the right thing to do. Paul, or, uh, David chose to come back to God, but Agrippa did not. He chose not to accept the truth despite all the evidence that Paul had presented in front of him. So with these three stories in mind, I know it's a lot to take in in a short period of time, but I wanted to make some application from these three uh, examples. Every example that we see of someone being approached about their lives, the Word of God, whether it be the Old Testament Scriptures, uh, the testimony of of uh, Apostle Paul, which would become the New Testament, which we have today, or is the, uh, uh, the, the word of the Lord through the prophet Nathan. So in, in Apollos' case, it was the Old Testament scriptures. We see that, you know, it doesn't explicitly say that in Acts chapter 18, uh, that, that uh, Aquila and Priscilla were reasoning to him from the, from the Old Testament scriptures. But it says in verse 28 that Apollos was using the Old Testament scriptures to testify about Jesus the Christ. Now, if, if Apollos was able to do that with the, Christ, the people that he was talking with, I, I can almost confidently say that, or almost 100% say that that's how Aquila and Priscilla uh, demonstrated to him that Jesus was the Christ from the Old Testament as well. And then King David, from the word of the, word of the Lord through Nathan, in Second uh, Samuel chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. Every time that Nathan condemns David, it's from the Lord's mouth. It's not David's, or Nathan saying, well, I think you should have done this. Or in my opinion, or I feel, 
It was the Lord said, the Lord's commandment, the, the evil that you have committed against the Lord. And Agrippa, and so Paul, Paul says this, you know, we just read this, his testimony from the New Testament and the Old Testament, he references the things that had happened in Jerusalem during the, during the time that Agrippa was king there, and also the, uh, the Old Testament prophets that Agrippa knew. So every time, every instance that someone is approached in these three examples, the scriptures are used to say, your life is here, and the scriptures are here. Why aren't they the same? Why, why is there a discrepancy between what you're doing and what the scriptures are saying? Or what the Lord is saying? And so, we need to have tender hearts like Apollos and like David, that when we're shown that, the, that our lives are here and the scriptures are here, that we need to move over to where the scriptures are at. We need to go to where the Bible wants us to be. Turn over to Zechariah chapter, chapter 7. Zechariah chapter 7. Zechariah chapter 7 and verse 8. Just a little bit of context here. Zechariah is writing to the remnant that has come back from Babylon to uh, Jerusalem about uh, not forsaking the Lord. Not remembering why they were in captivity in the first place. In verse 8 it says, Then the, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus has the Lord of God of hosts said, Dispense true justice and practice kindness and compassion each to his brother. And do not oppress the widow or the orphan or the stranger or the poor, and do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. But they, talking about those that were led into captivity, they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears from hearing. Could you, you know, that, I love that energy, you know, I, I, or that imagery. I can remember when I was young and, and uh, me and my, you know, I would get in trouble with my parents or something. They would tell me why I was doing what was wrong. You know, I can just see myself as a little kid turning, you know, not wanting to listen, turning away. And I remember one time my dad, uh, he said, when I'm talking to you, you look at me, right? And so that, that's what, that's what these, the children of Israel were doing. You know, he sent all these prophets saying, repent, repent, come back. And yet they turned a stubborn shoulder. They turned their face away from God. They put their fingers in their ears and would not listen. In verse, I'm going to pick up back up in, in verse 12. They made their hearts like flint so that they could not hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by His Spirit through the former prophets. Therefore great wrath came from the Lord of hosts. And just as He called and they would not listen, so they called and I would not listen, says the Lord of hosts. But I scattered them with a storm wind among all the nations that they have not known. Thus the land is desolated behind them so that no one went back and forth. So they made the pleasant land desolate. You know, even though this was written to those before the time of Christ in the Old Dispensation, in the Mosaic Dispensation, we can be guilty of having hearts like Flint as well. I don't know um, how many of you have seen Flint, but I, uh, I grew up on a farm in, in uh, Anderson County, and, and every time we would till up some land or something, we'd always find little arrowheads of Flint, or we'd find pieces of Flint that were different than the other rocks that were around. They were hard. 
and they, they were really jagged and sharp. And flint is actually used uh, um, in survival kits. You can scrape it against steel, and it makes such a hot spark that you can ignite a, a roaring fire even uh, in, the, in the coldest of climates. And so that's what you know, God is saying their hearts are, are that hard. They're so hard, they're like the hardest rock you can find. We shouldn't have our hearts to be that like that. We should have tender hearts. That, that if a brother comes to us and says, you're not living the way that you should be, you need to turn your heart back to God. You need to open your heart up to the Scriptures. And they, not only were, uh, was the, the Scriptures the uh, method by which they were confronted, or with what, what they were confronted, but they were all confronted in different ways. Apollos was confronted privately. Aquila and Priscilla took him aside and said, you know, you, you need to uh, listen to this testimony of, of Jesus that, that, we've, you know, that matches up with what you're preaching about John. It's just it's happened, and you need to, to, to change to, to, to the truth that's it's happened here in, uh, about Jesus. Now, with David, we're not told whether it's public or private, um, but regardless, the message got through, didn't it? That Nathan came, it could have been in front of, you know, Nathan's mighty men could have been around him. He could have been in a separate chamber. He could have, could have been a whole host of people there. And yet David still, whether it was public or private, he still listened to the word of the Lord. He still came back. In Agrippa, it was in a public, publicly in court. You know, the Apostle Paul... Um, there was Festus was there. There was probably other uh, dignitaries and magistrates there. Even though it was a public setting, it still was not wrong for Paul to confront Agrippa about the things that he knew, that he knew the truth, that he knew what he needed, needed to do. And so for this reason, even if we're confronted in a wrong way, in a way that may offend us, that we may perceive as wrong, we should put aside our pride and look to the Scriptures to see if we are truly in sin. Look over, look over at Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, verse 11. Now those were, who were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. So those in Berea they were looking to see if what Paul was saying was true. They were eager. They had this, this, this intense desire to know the truth, to know uh, what was right, regardless of how that affected them, regardless of how that would make them change or convict them. And we should be the same way. And the last thing I want to say about the application here this morning is if we're shown the wrong thing we should change in Apollos' case he was able to teach others he was able to take what Aquila and Priscilla had told him about the testimony of Jesus from Paul and be able to teach from the Old Testament uh, the Jews that he came into contact with and the Gentiles that he came into contact with and with David God forgave his sin because he repented of it because as it says later as we talked about this morning in Bible class, that 
it stated that even the terrible things that David did, he committed adultery, he murdered a man in, in cold blood, he, had, he, had, he was covetous of his wife, but it says he is a man after God's own heart. You know, uh, when Cody was talking about this morning, you know, we were talking about how could, how could the Israelites, you know, after seeing the, the waves parted at the Red Sea and, and see all these many signs and, and forget how, what God had done for them. We do that today. And we forget that, uh, that, that Jesus was sent to die for our sins. We forget what, that we were bought with a price, and we should never forget that. And Agrippa, he was almost persuaded. In a short time, he would have become a Christian, he says. But he did not. And so I'll leave you with this. This will be the last passage we read this, this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says, All Scripture is inspired of God for, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Brethren, we should be looking to the Scriptures constantly to see if, if we're doing the right thing, or maybe we're doing the wrong thing and we need to change. And if someone comes up to us and says, hey, I don't think you're doing what you should be doing, or someone in this pulpit says something that pricks our heart, we don't need to let that opportunity pass us to do what is right. We need to look to the Scriptures alone and not look to man's wisdom or to, well, I think, or I feel, or I... You know, I just don't want to do that because that means that I'll have to let something go. We should, as Paul says here to Timothy, to look to all scriptures that are inspired of God. For, for us to teach, for us to reprove and correct, and to train in righteousness as we've been going through in, in the Bible class on the Christian graces, to be, be a partaker of God's divine nature. If you're a Christian this morning and you realize that there's something in your life that is amiss and you would like the prayers of the brethren, you can come forward and we can get that worked out. If it's something privately you need to deal with, you need to talk to somebody, that's perfectly fine as well. You can talk, talk to someone that you can confide in about that and, and help you get back on the right track. If you're not a Christian this morning and you've been convicted by something that you, that's been said to you or, or heard to you about the gospel, please come forward as to be standing as we sing.